Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about classics. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the fucks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Though I guess this episode is going to be a little bit more like media theory E. So it'll also apply to TVs and movies, which we've also done on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just as by, by way of introduction... As a long time listeners of the cast are probably aware, I recently played through the remaster of Shadow of the Colossus, and uh, I thought it was a bit crap, um, to put it lightly. And uh, obviously, this is a a game that or that's the opinion that that would get me crucified if anybody actually listens to this podcast. Um, but uh, I th- just I thought I controlled poorly. I didn't think the gameplay was impressive. Um, I thought it was very pretty, but I didn't think it was particularly pretty in the modern age. Um, I am. I, I will recognize though that this game I think is is considered a classic and is a classic for a reason. Uh, mainly that it looked gorgeous on the PS2 when it was first released. And I don't think that that can be overlooked. And also, um, that kind of some of the tolerances for the wonkiness in play were a little bit lower back then. Um, but I kind of wanted to to talk about um, in kind of a general sense why um, some games that are classics that don't don't hold up or some media that are in classes don't hold up but some do right because like super mario brothers 3 is also really old but i think that holds up just fine um and in the movie kind of context uh buddy's talked about some films that uh he has enjoyed that, that he recognizes class that he doesn't appreciate but like something like i think for instance seven samurai still holds up um today yeah, i mean it's funny because i love seven samurai but i don't think it I don't think it holds up. Like, I love Seven Samurai oh, really? in, in the... Well, I mean, just, like, if I watch Seven Samurai back-to-back with, like, you know, um, even something like Magnificent Seven, right, which I don't think is, like... You know what I mean? Like, I, like, I don't think Magnificent Seven is an important movie in the same way that Seven Samurai is, right? But I think it's just fundamentally a better movie because it, it understands... Um, it understands like the film craft better because we have, this is kind of my philosophy. Like this is kind of how I think about media in general, which is like when you're comparing straight text to text. um, And I guess we might need to define some terms, but when you're comparing straight text to text, right? Like it only makes sense that things get better over time, right? You kind of can't, you like that. We seven samurai, was hugely impactful and important for the precedent that it set, essentially. Um, but it makes sense that in the same way that we iterate over, you know what I mean, cell phones, we iterate over the media that we consume, and we get better at producing it and better at uh, reading. You know what I mean? Like we're we are we are there is an upward trend in this stuff. I, I don't know if I agree with you totally on that because like. I think that the original Magnificent Seven wasn't great. I think I think it lost some of the stuff. I think the original Seven Samurai has a lot of that character, and I also think that like you know, compared to something like books, right? Like I still think that, like, I don't know, Hamlet books is actually really interesting. Books is actually kind of where I think this breaks down because if you've ever read like a contemporary liter like like, I had to take a contemporary literature class in college. Contemporary literature is like, um. I think if I were a lit crit person, I would probably say the same sort of thing, um, but I'm not, and therefore the inaccessibility of it is what makes it rough. Do you know what I mean? 
I, I so I, I feel that, but you know, just to pull this back to the to the to the video game things, like like I said, I think Super Mario Brothers Three still holds up and is one of the best, if not the best, kind of game of its sort. And I I define that category a little bit more narrowly than I think most people would, but like, um, I, I think you you can kind of see this in that like modern games that are that are in the old style are still incredibly popular. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of iteration in that, but I also think there's a certain amount of like space to be filled. I don't know if I. So, so okay, so I actually, so Seven Samurai is a great example because I still do think that it is a very good movie. Um, and uh, and I, I would also say that it is better than others of its kind, right? Like A Bug's Life is a worse movie than Seven Samurai because it takes it takes out a lot of the nuance because it's a kids right. movie, right? We can expect right. that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but I think, but so like, I don't think it's impossible for a movie from the way back, right? Especially a movie that's particularly like dialogue focused, like 12 Angry Men is probably going to be timeless because at the end of the day, 12 Angry Men is just the words in the page. You know what I mean? Like it's right. a little bit of the framing. It's a little bit of the other stuff. Right. But like when, when, when all it comes down to are, you know, the, the fundamentals of how. Um, these characters are interacting that's it has the benefit of not really needing like so for instance unless you're making a black and white movie for like particular reasons right like schindler's list would be a very good example of this right schindler's list is black and white just so that it can have the contrast of the red dress of the little jewish girl um i don't know if you've seen schindler's list i, I have not but there's a similar effects in um Sin City, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right, like, yeah. like unless black, like for many, for many of the films, or, or Wizard that are, of Oz, right? Like yeah, the, the yeah, and, or like for many of the films that are pre, uh, like colorization, right? Black and white was not an aesthetic choice that doesn't help the film, right? right. Uh, and the film would be better if it was in color. Um, for instance, and so like this is the kind of like technological limitation where we didn't have the ability to appropriately render this stuff right um, in the way that we would otherwise want to, and therefore um, it it kind of falls uh, yeah it no, kind I, of falls short compared to like the modern abilities that we have with how, cameras oh, and stuff. Okay, that's that's actually interesting. How much how important do you think like being able to rent like to uh, render graphically? certain things is right like like the result like you know obviously in the past 20 years resolution's gone up significantly do you think there are movies that's that that suffer because they were just like not able to be produced at at, at, at the crispest resolution yeah uh well actually so i think it goes both ways um for instance there's a pretty great video on on a youtuber named h bomber guys channel where he talks about how vhs changed the landscape of film like the specifics of like how VHS does, it, like how how VHS works, changed how we interface with film. And one of the things that he talked about in that video is um, the how certain horror movies became classics based off of their VHS releases. And there's kind of uh, and and they weren't able to find the same kind of footing when it comes to DVDs and Blu-ray, right? Because one of the things that like horror 
wants to do is deprive information from the viewer right and so when the alien in alien fades into the backdrop and you can't quite see it and you know something is there because you see some pixels moving but it's just like the the translation from film to video hasn't been great right that actually increases the tension right in in that kind of a movie texas chainsaw massacre you know nightmare on elm street right like these are these are other kind of movies that like hit the same the same idea so i definitely think that 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 is a thing um and modern horror movies have a tougher time working around that because everything is released in blu-ray right people are looking for visual fidelity yeah um i, um, I think kind of just to bring up a parallel example i know that one of the three masters of either either silent hill or silent hill one or silent hill two um Basically, the increased technology allowed to draw distance to be Yeah, increased. yeah, I know that one. The Silent Hill 2 one. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was like the, the, the fog. The, it screwed the game up massively because um, uh, for, for those reasons. But it seems like you can intentionally downgrade that stuff, right? Like Yeah, or, yeah that's true. Um, I mean, that's part of the appeal of found footage um, from, a, from like a horror movie perspective. Yeah, yeah. Found footage forces you into kind of that... Um, into that like mode but i got but so when when we're talking about classics so i i want to quickly define these terms because i think it's important okay so um from like a media theories perspective right uh i mean okay so just to just like back up to the very baseline right media is the plural of medium in the way that medium like like a woman who is a medium is a bridge between the spirit world and the material world or whatever right like uh, like medium media is the bridge between two people right i take my abstract thoughts and i put them into something physical that's the media right and then i hand that off to somebody else and they consume those and hopefully it will recreate the same abstract thoughts that i had when i created right that's re the relationship between producer and consumer and a single piece of media right like that's the text everything that is in that thing is the text Right? So the text of Seven Samurai is from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie and nothing else, right? Um, and media can be like a whole bunch of different things, right? It can be a combination of different things. Film is obviously a combination between like recorded oration and cinema where, you know, I'm taking photographs and I'm playing them in front of your face at 24 frames per second, right? Like those are two different ways to communicate with somebody fused into one and that's how we get, right? That's how we get conventional film sort of thing. Um, and so the text is only the stuff that happens from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. And I think when we're comparing movies a lot of the time, like when I'm comparing movies, I am comparing like text to text, right? So Seven Samurai to Magnificent, you know, 2017, 2016, I guess, Magnificent Seven, right? It is me in my head lining up the text of one movie to the text of the other movie and saying, okay, which one of these do I think is better, right? But that's not like the only thing that necessarily matters in the conversation. Um, so obviously there's like subtext. Um, so for instance, the, the best way to explain subtext is like, okay, so um, if, I, if, the, if the text of my medium is two plus two equals four, right that's kind of a complete thought but right. if the text of my medium is two plus two equals the subtext is four it implies it but it doesn't say it outright it suggests it right so that's subtext and then there's context right which is if i oh, say i i sorry i i don't quite follow that math example do you you have like a more concrete example that i could that i could like so yeah, so subtext is everything that that it that a, a that a text implies, right? 
So, uh, a good example of this is, like, you know... Uh, or a recent example of this is, like, Thor Ragnarok. All the stuff with colonialism or whatever, all of that is subtext. It's okay. Not, it's not really text. You have to kind of to make a logical leap there and say, I think Asgard is a metaphor for, you know, colonialist civilizations. Right, right. And then, and then you can kind of piece it all together from, from that, right? So that's, that's kind of what subtext is. Um, um, quick, quick question before you go on to context. Um, is subtext then, like, it's not, a, like, a, a necessary, like, you know, I, I know you're a big fan of the author being dead. Um, is, is like, subtext then not necessarily an intended thing? Yeah, subtext is not necessarily an intended thing. Um, and it's also one of the reasons that, like, um, you can have different interpretations, like, two people can have different right. interpretations of the same media. From, like, a film studies perspective, this is why... Um, so, like, the, the way you talk about it is, like, through kind of lenses a lot of the times. Like, you'll say critical race theory, right? Like, that's the lens with which I'm going to talk about, you know, the presentation of African men in Lord of the Rings. Do you know what I mean? That's, like, that's kind of applying a specific sort of subtextual framework. And you're going to say, okay, well, these things are metaphor for these other sort of things. And we're going to look at it from that kind of perspective. Or feminist theory, right? Where right, I say, right. I'm going to look at, you know transformers through a feminist lens then there's a whole bunch of other ones right like it's not just those two um and then uh uh but that's also but then so the and then the interesting part of um uh like the author is that the author stuff that's all context right so context is everything outside of the outside of the text that relates back to the text right um so when so, uh, an author talks about their own work that is context that we don't necessarily have to put into it, right? Context is kind of like an opt-in sort of thing. Um, and I think context is where we find classics, right? Because a lot of the time, classics come from, you know, intense bursts of innovation in the way that, like, we've never really seen the hero's journey um, so well codified onto the screen as with Star Wars. Um, and so when you, f when you account for context and when you say, well, the context of the situation is thus, right? That's how you can create like a classic and you can say Star Wars is a better movie than Kung Fu Panda because it was, uh, it was, it was more novel in the time, right? Like it was more innovative at the time. Kung Fu Panda is, you know, is a movie that got to see Star Wars. And, and do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It is, is. Is context, um, is context like the common language definition of it, or, or, or is it different? Um, like, or like, is there some? I don't see a difference right now, but it, or, but it, do you in your mind is there a difference that that maybe I'm not seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially, a, I guess, I would say a common, uh, like a common language sort of thing. But I think it's important to separate it out because it's something that people account for in the text. Sure, sure. Um, no, I mean, in like, fact, we're actually seeing that today with stuff like Black Panther, right? Like, I would actually say, like, and I don't want to, and, and, and there's something to be said for, like, the quality of a film versus, like, um, the importance of, like, a film-going experience, which are kind of, like, different, right? And I think that you can't account for that with something like Wonder Woman or something like Black Panther. But, like, the context that Wonder Woman is the like the first iteration of a big female led uh superhero project directed by a female right like that's context and that's important context and i and you know it's important context to the conversation and everything like that but it doesn't make wonder woman a better movie 
Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Right. In the same way that, like, yeah, I think it's great that this is a uh, a black movie starring almost all black people with a black director, but that doesn't make Black Panther a better movie than, you know, whatever else. It still needs to hit the, the beats of... Um, story yeah, theme yeah. character you know what i mean all that stuff right I, and for the purposes of your um film theory discussion um kind of like is like you know we, we spoke about when we talked about the last jedi that the fact that carrie fisher actually died had some impact on how um some of her scenes in that movie played out Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider that part of context in this thing, or is that something external that, that you that Yeah, you that, so that's also part of context, right? Um, text is just the words on the screen, you know what I mean? Right, or like right. the words on the page, right, right. The, the pictures yeah. on the screen sort of thing. Um, and some parts of context are like incredibly hard to pull apart, you know what I mean? Um, like, uh, there are... Um, I'm trying to think because like, this is kind of a little bit of like what we talk about when we talk about like separating the artist from the art. You know what I mean? People talk right. about this when they when we talk about abusers in Hollywood, right? Like, oh, Woody Allen is a great example. Woody Allen is a guy who probably molested his, like, his daughter, right? Um, but the the way that that plays into the movies is 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 hard to pull apart because his movies are so autobiographical he stars in his own movies a lot of the time right he writes and directs his own movies they are intensely personal works by like a by a personal guy right and so being able to say oh well you know i can separate the artist from the art with annie hall like there's so much context to that because it's so intrinsically linked with this guy outside of the text of the film that it's not necessarily an easy thing to do whereas for something like you know Anything with any journeyman craft craftsman kind of director, right? Like David Yates, um, who's the guy that did the, all like the the later Harry Potter movies, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Like this guy is less an auteur and more just kind of like a like a craftsman, right? Like he's a solid director. He understands how to how to direct stuff, but he doesn't have like a personal impact on the screen in right. the same way that Woody Allen making autobiography like autobiography essentially does. Do you know what I mean? And so, and where that line is, is, is always going to be tough to, to deal with for different, you know, like for different people. I can't really watch Woody Allen movies without that context anymore, just because they are the way they are. Um, but I think the proper way to compare films, right, is to go text to text. And you say, you know, this is, this is what this one film is, and we're going to line it up and say this is what this other film is. And you kind of put context to the side and not, you know is what it, I mean? Like, I, I don't want to cheat for, for, for anything like that. Do you think that, that that classics can't be made in text alone? Do I think that classics can't be made in text alone? I guess I don't think that. I I think classics are created by their context, by the context that they generate um, specifically. And we've seen this kind of thing in, and it's always tough to call this ahead of time. Um, a good example of this is, uh, so Pacific Rim is getting a sequel, right? But it wasn't actually very successful at the box office. Uh, that year, it was um, pretty far down compared to all of these other movies. Um, but the the other movies that came out in 2014, right? There are many other movies that fell out of the context much quicker, and therefore um, we 
we want a, a sequel, essentially, to Pacific Rim when we didn't want a sequel to any of these other movies that people forgot about coming out in, you know, in 2014. Yeah. Um, maybe 2013. I can't remember the year it was. Uh, can can you then define what you feel a classic to be? Because I, I, like, my, my instinct is to disagree with you. So, um, so to me, a classic is where we are, um, like, a classic is where we are accounting for, uh, like, the importance of a film based on, like, it, it's, it's context. I actually think classics oh, okay. can be made and they are bad. Like, there are bad classics out there. Okay, um, so, so, so that's, like, uh, that's, uh. But that that it's not that, it's not that you think that a, a a classic can't be made on text alone. It's that the definition of classic inherently includes the definition of context to it. Yeah, the definition like, of classic, like a classic is all, thing. to me. To me, a classic is all about its context and very little about its text. Um, okay. For instance, Revenge of the Nerds, right, is a classic, but it's not a good film. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but it's a film that has a certain context, and for some reason, we're talking about it, but we're not talking about any, you know, any of these other movies that came out in the mid '80s. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like certain things, certain things stay as part of the conversation, and once you stay as part of the conversation for a certain amount of time, right? Um, you're a classic. You're, you're a classic, uh, and I think, okay. and 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 that's not, and it's tough to call this stuff ahead of time, right? Like, did you remember that? You know, World War Z made twice as much money as Pacific Rim. Well, no, but Pacific Rim has been much more part of the zeitgeist than than World War Z has been, even if it was successful. Do you know what I mean? Right, but I, so so I would so, so so maybe put this in another way. Do you, like I, from where I'm sitting, kind of trying to understand this framework that, that you're putting forward? I think that there are things that um there there are there are media that their text is so good that they can elevate themselves into the context of the, or into the zeitgeist or, in, or, or like create their own context such that they become classics. Does that, yeah. does that sound fair? Yeah, right? no, that's definitely, yeah. I would say that that's a part of it. Like that's like a, a subset. Right. Um, it's like, I don't think John Wick has it. Like John Wick, I think creates its own context. I think like something like Undertale or uh, Super Meat Boy create their own contexts right. that make them super memorable and super, super classic games. Um, right. Like, so uh, this is interesting cause, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, we were, we were talking about this episode for a little while, but somebody described into the breach as an instant classic. Um, and I can kind of buy that. Um, and we'll probably talk to about that a little bit more in the last half hour. Cause I, I played a little bit of it, but, um, I, 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 I think that I'm okay with this context part of it. So long as there's this aspect where you can be such an, uh, su such a uh, an exemplary text that you mm. create the context, um, like like you, you like like in in theory, is there like a a great movie out there that like I don't know somebody recorded on like uh, like that Steven Spielberg recorded on his own time and never released or something that's like a great text that isn't a classic because like yeah. Do you have any examples of of a, a great movie that that isn't a, uh, a a classic? Oh man, are there examples of that offhand? Uh, I definitely does Kung, does Kung Fu Panda count? Like, I don't... Uh, ooh, see, I would actually argue, see, I would argue that hmm, 
Because I, I would definitely argue that those dream... that There's this specific era of DreamWorks that includes the How to Train Your Dragon movies, the Kung Fu Panda movies, Megamind is in there, Puss in Boots is in there, where DreamWorks was really good. Um, and I think that's part of, like, its overall context. But yeah, like, I for instance, I would say Kung Fu Panda is much less of a classic than, obviously, like, Star Wars. Star Wars is probably right. the most classic, classic of all classic films, right? Because it, it has the biggest splash... Um, so much so that, like, when I was a kid, I mean, I, we talked about this in the prequels episode, but, like, when I was a kid, it seemed, it was so ubiquitous that it just kind of seemed trite, almost. And the, and the Phantom Menace caught my attention because it was so different, um, than, than A New Hope was. You know what I mean? Because I, because it wasn't just that I was, I, I had seen, you know, A New Hope. It's that I had seen everything, you know, I had seen Animaniacs parody a new hope and other movies use that structure and tv shows adopt that you know what i mean like yeah. all of that stuff it like it was so pervasive in the um in the culture um but yeah i'm, I'm trying th there are definitely a lot of movies that like people don't know about or people don't think about that are very very good um but i'm trying to think of what like a good example of that might be from Like, I feel like it must be something that, like, some director did however many years ago, like, in the 80s or 90s that we've kind of forgotten about, but, like, was probably pretty good. Or that, like, people... Huh. So, so, so how do you feel about cult classics? Like, what, like what, what does that term mean to you, then? Yeah, so, uh, so a cult classic is, like, um, so... There is, like, the culture, right, you know, which is kind of yeah. essentially, like, American film culture, right? But then there are also subcultures. So, uh, specific fandoms or whatever. Um, like, for instance, the way that the, like, the DC Cinematic Universe fandom, um, like, mythologizes uh, specifically the Zack Snyder duology of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman has kind of, in the context of that subculture turned those two movies into classics whereas nobody's really like like unlike the dc cinematic subreddit nobody's ever like hey suicide squad was really a good movie you know what i mean like yeah you know um, yeah i see what you're saying uh, um does this set of rules make the room a classic yeah no seriously it does uh, and, and those kinds of movies that are, like, so bad that they're good or whatever that, like, we know about now, like, Troll 2 or whatever. Rocky um, Horror Picture Show. Yeah, exactly. Like, these movies are, uh, these movies that are elevated kind of despite or, like, in spite of their quality as text. This is why I say that, like, classics is all about context, right? Because it is about, like, the context that got created from, uh, like, from these, from these films and then, like, brought forward, essentially. Sure. Man, uh, it's really tough to think about a movie that's not a classic, but that is, like, a good text or whatever. Because, like, kind of definitionally, it's... That means that you don't remember it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure if you thought, if I thought about it, I could think of, like, a solid movie that I saw over the, the past couple of years that I don't think is really, like, a... Uh, 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 like a a thing that I the, to to be like super remembered like okay I, I, I think I, I think I kind of have one uh, but I gotta remember 
I'm try I'm just trying to think of like what are movies that I like that I haven't thought about for a long time. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I feel that. And there's this Pierce Brosnan movie. God, what the fuck is this movie called? From uh like the nineties. Dante's Peak. Okay, do you know this movie Dante's Peak? It's about like just a, a it's it's from nineteen ninety seven. Um it stars Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton from Terminator. Um, it's directed by nobody important, right? Uh, and it's basically just about a volcano goes off in, like, an American town, um, in Washington, in, in Washington State, right? That was a movie that I loved as a kid, right? That I thought was really good, and I don't have no idea whether or not it would, like, still hold up or whatever, but, like, in my head, that's a good text, but it also is something that I completely forgot about, right? So I wouldn't call that a classic, um, or if it is a classic, you know, it is a very, very incredibly minor one. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I feel like some of the Oscar nominees that we've watched for the show can get can can get to that territory. Oh my god! Right, like the artist or what? Well, we didn't watch that for the show, but like the artist is a movie that won the Oscar in what twenty thirteen or whatever. Who the fuck has thought about the artist since it won that award? Yeah, like, like the, the, the reason the reason I'm thinking about this is that I like I don't maybe it wasn't an Oscar, but I watched, um, oh I watched uh, Infinitely Polar Bear at some point, and I like I, I I have a list of movies that I wanted to watch. I have that checked off, and that's the only reason I remember. It. And I thought it was a decent movie, but like, like what the fuck, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then with games, it gets even squirrelier because games has, we're still going kind of through like, like to a certain extent at a certain point, um, in like film history, we've just enough money and innovation and talent and stuff has been poured into film that like you can do kind of whatever you want with it. Like there aren't a lot of technical limitations to film that are being broken through, anymore in the same way that like with games when i compare films to the 90s to films today they're using basically the same language and technology um sharper resolutions you know we have we have digital cameras that allow for cgi and stuff like that um or whatever but like the difference between a 90s game and like a current game is immense um and some of that stuff, I think, is a real roadblock to people playing certain games. I have certainly had tons of trouble going back to games that I used to love uh, from, like, the early 2000s uh, or, like, the late 90s or whatever, um, just because, like, the technology has is so regressive. Yeah, um, I definitely feel that. I tried to boot up um, Baldur's Gate at some point. And I and I love that game, and I, I just couldn't play it because the interface I know. Is, isn't The same isn't thing there. has happened to me with Oblivion. You know what I mean? Like, I man, when I first bought Oblivion, I basically didn't leave my house for a week. Like, I just, like, I got up, I played Oblivion, I went to sleep, I got up, I played Oblivion for, like, nine days straight. And it was glorious, and I have really fond memories of that game because of it. But, like, anytime I try and, like, go back to it, I'm just like, oh, my God, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I actually, I actually think that this is, this is a, a big part of why I think games are more susceptible to... Um, classics that don't hold up, I think, than movies are, right? Because because movie movie technology has improved, but but it's it's like 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 you mentioned, it's it's less severe than games. If I think games are are, are more likely to, to to fall away to 
kind of the conveniences and updates of the modern era than uh, than than movies are right. Yeah. Like you, uh, uh, and as as like as you know, what spawned this episode, I think that's what happened with Shadow of the Colossus is the things that we were used to tolerating just aren't aren't tolerable anymore. Um, in in a in a, in a strange way. Um, and I, and I feel good about calling Shadow of the Colossus the classic, but uh, yeah. but like also saying that like it doesn't hold up. And I think when what we're saying like the what we're saying when we say it doesn't hold up is that in a modern context that text is not good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but I, but whether or not something is a classic doesn't really care care about that. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's actually interesting. Like I, I think this this happened solely because I, I you know I I have never played the original version and I never played the original version. Like at the time, which I think would be the important part, um, I think that if you, I think that uh, if the only version of the Shadow of the Classes that existed was the the version that came out this year, then I don't think it would have made the same type of impact mm-hmm. that it uh, that it did. It might have because still it's still like very artsy, but um, I think it would just be. I still think that the gameplay aspects would have held it back um, significantly. Um, but you know, yeah, and, and there are definitely, and and I and I agree with you. Like, for instance, I think my Super Mario Brothers three would be Ratchet and Clank. Have you ever played the original Ratchet and Clank on PS two? Uh, no, not for it's a game from like two thousand one, two thousand two. You know what I mean? And it's very like polygons, um, and kind of like blocky, right? But Ratchet and Clank kind of does the World of Warcraft thing, where it leans into the cartoonishness. That is ne- that is necessary to sell that, if that makes right, sense. Right, right, right. And so, like to me, that aesthetic really works for Ratchet and Clank, and uh, and the, and then the gameplay systems are all very good. Like the controls are great. Um, oh, excuse me. The the like the way you progress through the story and through the gameplay mechanics is very much one of these kind of like you know you go through a level. And then you unlock a different. It's like it kind of has like the Metroid thing, where like you unlock a different version of like movement, right? Um, or like, oh, all of a sudden now you know. First you had, uh, you know, first you could just jump. Then you got the helicopter jump, which let you jump one point five units and then you got the jetpack jump which allows you to jump two units right and all of a sudden you can go back to the previous levels all of the shit there respawns for you and you can kill it and and move through the process of the level all over again right but now you can unlock secret areas because you have a two two unit jump right like it has it has that sort of gameplay which i think is super solid gameplay that definitely holds up into like the modern day right um and uh and yeah, I actually think that some of the most insidious versions of classics like kind of falling apart is with something like Pokemon, where the iteration is specifically expansive. And it's very hard, I think, to go from something that is expansive to something that is like like contractive, if that makes sense, right? Pokemon has ha- the, like the fundamental formula of, you know, you are playing on an isometric map and you go north, south, east, west as you move and you do these turn-based battles and you have six Pokemon in your party, right? All of that stuff is fundamentally the same. Um, but they have expanded the roster of available Pokemon, available moves, right? All of that stuff yeah. way, way more. Um, so when you go back and play Pokemon Red, it feels just like such a small... Um, and, and you really feel like the, man, I wish I had a Steel-type now or... Water is super overpowered and it's not balanced at all, or 
You know, or, like any of these other kinds of things. Or, or you know, even for the people who get real crazy, like like get real crazy about it, like the the ability to more easily track and manipulate your your IVs and EVs and all all, the, all that crazy shit that hardcore Pokemon players get into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I I definitely see that. Um, I actually uh, I I think that like, I, I I think that graphics are actually fundamentally like a thing that that I think can be forgiven more easily because it is such a technical thing. Um, like I think even games that were going for a more realistic style can still hold. Like I I I don't have the same trouble playing older games just because they look bad. Um, uh. If if the controls are still are you know are are manageable enough, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, to me, it's all about the aesthetic. Um, certain graphical styles can carry your kill games. Um, like for instance, maybe an example of this would be something like Metal Gear. I have a tough time. I never got into Metal Gear or anything like that, but I I have a tough time with Metal Gear, especially the older ones because the graphics are pretty poor. See, but that's see, a game that wants to be kind of photorealistic whereas the exact same graphics are used in ratchet and clank but i think that's part of the aesthetic and it's great see that's what that's what i'm saying that i disagree with you that i disagree on. oh like, really interesting like i think metal gear still controls well right and so i have less trouble going back and dealing with the fact that you know there's like seven polygons on the head it doesn't really look like a person i mean i can kind of forgive that in a lot of ways um over uh over something that has like a dilapidated control scheme that maybe still looks the the, the same or you know looks well the way yeah that I when accept. I put it up next to a control screen that's kind of interesting like I wonder how much bad controls would kill me um, yeah I think it's actually it's one of these things where like for most kind of like actiony games right like in, like an FPS or a uh, or a game like Metal Gear that's like very character focused. Those controls were mastered pretty early on, and there's not a lot to build on on top of them, so you don't have as much example, as many examples of them, um, kind of sucking into the modern age. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but like more strategy based games, and uh, you know, in RPGs, I think had a lot of mechanical systems updates, um, moving that moving into the modern age that make the older games uh, much more of a chore to play. That's true. Like the, the Oblivion isn't hard to play for me because of the the graphics. I mean, the graphics aren't great, and it's weird looking at like the same person or whatever, like however many different times. But the the hard part about playing Oblivion is I can see like the mechanics underneath everything that I'm doing, and I can feel how bad they are. Yeah, you know you, what I mean. You can see and the how, seams. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I can see the seams. I mean, you know, Oblivion is, is crafted from the ground up with a set of just a poor mechanics right like the way that you level up um in the game is just uh like i'm not gonna i get not, not to go into the specifics of it right but like you depending on the way that you play you can obsolete you can make yourself obsolete um yeah. by especially by like leaning into what we would think of as like common ways to play the game and that kind of counterintuitivity that like counter into intuition that uh to those systems is what makes that game so hard for me to play um even though i think like the graphics like aren't great that's not that's not the deal breaker yeah but i also think with graphics you know like i mean i feel like once we hit that xbox 360 era 
you know, I have no trouble going back and playing the original Mass Effect. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mass Effect 2, obviously. Um, so, yeah, once we kind of hit that, like, 2007 range, uh, I kind of feel as though, like, graphical fidelity is at a point that it's not um, a, a big make or break. Yeah, I, uh, I, we're hitting the point of diminishing returns very quickly, which I also think is the thing that happened with, with film, right? Like, once we hit, yeah. like, 1080, maybe, um, even, even before that, maybe, I think maybe, like, uh, like, other than, like, the, the thing that I notice the most about, like, old-style broadcasts, um, and this is, this is, uh, just, you know, like, the clarity is obviously there and the picture, picture looks better, but in terms of my enjoyment, um, it's like sports broadcasts on an old television, you can't read the numbers on the screen. <laughs> and that's, yeah. like, the biggest difference to me. Um, if, if, if the resolution's down, cause for the longest time, my parents had a, had a four by three CRT. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think actually the biggest difference that gets made is the, the change from four by three to 16 by nine, right? Like my screen, my TV and most people's TVs at this point are kind of like default in that 16 by 16 by nine widescreen. I think 1080p is great and everything. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to knock it. And I think that that clarity is like really important, especially to specific kinds of, um, films, uh, like any kind of film that lends itself to graphical Easter eggs. Uh, like the most obvious example I can think of is that it was recently somebody, somebody was like going frame by frame through Batman vs Superman. And they found that on the lead capsule or whatever for like Batman's grenades, the, or I'm, I'm sorry on the, um, on the grenade capsule for Batman's grenades, it says it has the letters PB for lead because it's like the the periodic thing for lead yeah. and like th this it was a grenade that put lead in the air so that Superman couldn't see him or whatever like that's a that's a detail in that film that you can only get if you have the graphical fidelity to read that PB, yeah, yeah, yeah right um, and even then no somebody didn't discover that until a year and a half later right um, and so. Uh, uh, and and, the, and the, like there's other there's other versions of this that I think are helpful like um, so specifically like color grading I think is a really important thing um, and a probably like the biggest aesthetic innovation of the last twenty years has been the ability to use color grading to influence your uh, like your your film aesthetically but otherwise um, yeah I I think I think that. Uh, that the last 20 years of games has been incredibly huge. I mean, Final Fantasy Seven was, well, I guess that was 1995. That was 23 years ago, right? Um, and comparing that to what we have in the current, you know, in the current day and age to Final Fantasy Fifteen, or even if you want to kind of compare it along more like turn-based lines, right? It's still so much, it's so much better and so much different. Um, and even in the last 10 years, right, like comparing Final Fantasy XIV, right, like the graphics in that game, which were much more um, uh, kind of like detailed and realistic than the graphics in World of Warcraft, which are inherent, like, which are like an inheritance of 2004 when the game was created. Um, right. Yeah. Um. But actually, now that we've now that we've uh, so now that we've sit on WoW, I think WoW is a, a really interesting classic because we're gonna get it back, right? Literally, WoW classic, right? Like, what? I am so fascinated to see how 
to see how the WoW Classic thing plays out when it does like come to uh, come to fruition. Because like whether or not that because we don't know whether or not that game holds up because it doesn't exist. Yeah, you you, you know can't I mean? go back and play certain games now like yeah. it, because the original state doesn't exist anymore. Um wow being probably the, the biggest one of them. And I am fascinated. I am really fascinated to kind of like see what that will what that will mean cuz even though I think that there have been, you know, like I'm kind of in the camp that like you say you want wow classic but you don't actually want wow classic, right? People have nostalgia goggles for this sort of thing. Uh, I'm very much in that camp, and I and I and I think that like overall that's the picture. But like, it's really easy for me to make an argument that there are not just kind of like aesthetic decisions or quality of life decisions that got made or anything along those lines, but like, like down, there are certain design decisions that are part of the design philosophy of Vanilla WoW that no longer exist, right? For instance, the decision to give mounts at level twenty instead of at level forty and gated by an extremely high gold barrier right um or having to go back to your trainer every level um and pick out and and train up all the different ranks or whatever hearthstones having an hour-long cooldown rather than a 15-minute cooldown right um you know like having the, to shout in general chat to find a party for the dungeon right exactly right you know one flight path for each zone if you are lucky right one graveyard for each zone if you are lucky Right, like all of these things, I think contribute to a different, you know, like they're, they're they are obviously text, right? But they contribute to a different kind of subtext than the current WoW gives you. Whereas current WoW, I mean, from like a from like a, a scale perspective, you're going out and you're killing Argus, a Titan, right? But like in vanilla wow just killing the bandit leader of a bunch of bandits that have been fucking around in westfall was like you know what i mean like that was like a whole ordeal and the difficulty with which you could gather people you know like gather your party and go all the way through dead mines and kill edwin van cleef that was hard enough that the difficulty of um accomplishing that goal lends to it a greater sense of uh, like like uh, accomplishment and challenge, you know what I mean? And I think that 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 makes for like a very fundamentally different experience. And I almost kind of like wonder if it'll if that's part yeah. of I don't because, know because because there's a challenge be uh, there's a challenge beyond the the text of the content to use your term right like I I don't know how how you'd how'd classify it but like the the act of gathering the party and moving to the the dungeon entrance and walking into the dungeon right like that's all its own it's its own problem uh that or its own challenge that that was part of the experience that was stripped out of the experience for a number of reasons yeah um, and we can debate whether or not those reasons yeah. are good i like the dungeon finder i like raid finder right and everything like that but it also did fundamentally change the like, yeah. change the game yeah no i i wonder if like because I, I i think just to, because we're talking about wow i think that wow classic is ultimately going to be a failure um, but I think that that doesn't necessarily make the people who want WoW Classic totally wrong. Um, I think that, like... I actually like, don't think it's going to be a failure, but interesting. Uh, 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 or we can probably determine what failure means, but I, I just don't think it'll be widely played. Oh, um, yeah, okay, I agree with you. Um, I think that, um, like, there are aspects of 
WoW Classic that people want, that are a valid thing for them to want, but compounded with all of the other parts, like, I think there are some things you could say about WoW uh, in the modern age that are, like, objectively better, right? Like, if it's, even, even if it's things like, just kind of like, um, like, mechanics working properly when they sometimes didn't mm-hmm. to do frustration levels. And I think that's not even like, you know, like, you know, like I know, I know a big thing that people did was there was a, a long jump bug where if you long jumped in vanilla, wow, you would stick on the, on a point in the, in, on, on like a wall and you could jump up walls that way. And there was like, there were people who, because you couldn't fly in vanilla, wow, were dedicated to just exploring the geometry in weird places. Yeah. Um, I think that's its own sort of fun, right? And, like, you know, um, I think people aren't necessarily wrong for wanting that, but things like, you know, like um, like a, a bug on, on damage or something that just caused you to, to die or whatever. I don't think there's any negative back for that. But I think there is, to your, to your point about the difficulty of accomplishing um, uh, Edwin, Edwin Van Cleef as the a totality of experience including gathering the party, I think that it is not wrong for people to want the experience back where they had to wait in town and find a party um, for things like, you know, like I've talked about this before, but like, you know, well, maybe you got like a priest and like two tanks and two DPS and you were able to pull it off that way. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that kind of like, you know, like, you know, we didn't do it optimally, but we did it because we are, Adventurers that put our stuff together. I, th- I think there's like a, like a uh, a value there that like you know I, I don't think I trade out Dungeon Finder on balance, but I think like wanting a more organic experience is still a thing that could be neat to to see. And I, I think there are other games that are, that are carrying that torch because I think that ultimately WoW is kind of like the the theme parkiest of theme park MMOs at this point. Um, but I, I I think that that's all kind of like. Uh, I think there's space for like a, a a a new classic, I guess, to to fill, to kind of fill that that need, that 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 vanilla wow vanilla wow filled that modern wow doesn't. Yeah, I I think uh, I mean so I I think classic will be a success just because even just like even though I'm not the the argu- the the target audience there is a big target audience for these people right like people talk about like nostalgia having like 800,000 people or whatever and I think those numbers are certainly inflated but also like classic wow twitch like like if you open up like the world of warcraft on twitch yeah most of the top ones like the top 10 are probably all legion or whatever but there's just a lot of people who are playing and watching um vanilla wow and i think uh and i and i think that it'll be pretty straightforward um for those folks to uh find a you know like find a place once it gets you know once it becomes relatively easy to create a classic wow account on and you know your classic wow character i also think by the way um that uh, there's also some things like have you ever heard of project 60 or 70 no i haven't so project 60 uh 70 and 80 are the only ones that exist as far as i know but they are um it's a specific uh way to play the game uh also iron man is kind of a little bit like this where like there's a there's a certain set of rules that you have to adhere to um project 60 is you um you can't use heirlooms or anything and uh and you can't use the dungeon finder you can't use you know, like pvp anything along along those lines and you get up to level 60 and then you experience cap yourself and you 
play the game, you know what I mean? Like, you play the game like it's level 60, or like you're level 60 kind of thing, and you're, it's people getting together, groups to do, you know, Upper Black Rock Spire, and then they want to do Molten Core and Blackwing Lair and stuff like that. Uh, Project 70 is the same thing, but for Burning Crusade. Project 80 is the same thing, but for um, uh, Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, and so, like, the prevalence of that stuff, which is, you're playing Legion, right? Like, you're playing the Legion version of the game, um, but you are specifically, you know, like, looking for uh like that kind of that 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 kind of previous experience uh i think that is uh a good example of where people will find themselves with like like or where like additional classic wow people will kind of like find themselves a little bit yeah i i also i think i think there's i think you'll see a spike in classic wow usage whenever like the events that, ha like, if, if they do progression, I don't know if, if they're planning on it or not, but, like, if AQ ever happens again, yeah. right, I'm sure that there will be a, uh, a bunch of people who are like, oh, boy, this is, like, I met, you know, either I missed it or I enjoyed it the first time around. This is the only other time I'll ever have a chance to do it or whatever. Um, but that'll be a big thing. I'm actually, I'm very interested by this as well. Um, specifically because uh, I actually think that you could do something cool like the Seasons uh in Diablo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um where like essentially, you know, like you have I, I, I imagine it would be year long or something and maybe you would kind of like go through the patch structure. I think Vanilla WoW had twelve patches. And maybe you'd go through the patch structure of say of, you know, every month you release the new the new patch. Um or maybe if that's not quite the right way to do it, then you kind of you know, every three months you release something new. So the game starts with Anixia, which I think was the only raid that it launched with and then um and then you get molten core and then you get blackwing lair and then you get um aq and then you get next ramus and then it cycles you know what i mean yeah yeah no that could that could be neat there's there's um there's uh on uh for crowfall um they're doing a similar kind of thing where like you play campaign like there there are campaigns that last for like um varying amounts of time some short some long um, but like you, like you kind of play and like the, the durations are like, you know, like, uh, I think like the shortest one's like three months out to like a year or two. Um, and you just kind of like run your characters through those games. And I think that that's kind of like a model that would be interesting to see. Cause I, I, I see pieces of that and what you're suggesting there. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, um, that's, uh. Wow, as a classic game. Um, do you have do you have any um, any other game that you you hold up like, like you you said Ratchet and Clank? Do you have any other game that you hold up as being like a a, a classic that that you think is worthy? Really, I'm sure you're gonna say Mass Starcraft. Effect 2. I don't know. Mass why. Effect Two, obviously. Uh, Mass Effect Two is a little bit young, to be honest with you. Like I I almost kind of feel like there's like a you have to be like 15 years old or something. Um, but StarCraft is a huge one for me. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I don't think, uh, uh, even more so than, like, I mean, people talk about Warcraft 2 and everything in Warcraft 3, but I think StarCraft is more important than both of those. Um, and, like, a bigger classic, really, uh, than yeah. both of those. Uh, I think the, you know, honestly, I think the original Halo is more of a classic that people almost kind of forget about, because Halo's kind of fallen off compared to, like, Call of Duty and stuff like that. Um, but, like... Yeah, you know I what? think the I... original Halo is fucking great, and I think it is absolutely worthy of classic. And not just, like, this is not Revenge of the Nerds classic. This is, like, 
Seven Samurai. Like, that game was great at the time. I think, I actually think that you're off a little bit. I think the actual classic is Halo 2. Um, uh, I would, okay, I would definitely say that Halo 2 is more of a classic um, because of the multiplayer aspect of it. Right. Uh, which Halo 1 didn't really have, but. Um, you know what? Like, I just, I just think that, like, Kind of uh, uh, in each in each. This is the thing because like video games are much more dynastic than than movies are, um, uh, and uh, I, I like I, I feel like if you wanted to pick one from from the series to kind of be the face of it, I'd pick Halo Two over Halo Combat Evolved. Um, uh, much like for like classic, <laughs> you know, for for NES, uh, for NES Mario games, I think it's Super Mario Brothers Three. Yeah. Um, or like uh, for Fallout, I would say New Vegas. Yeah. Well, the thing there too that's weird is that Fallout Fallout actually is two different lines of games, right? Fallout One and Two are functionally separate from Three Forward. That's true. Um, kind of like um, Super Mario Brothers is functionally separate at the Mario sixty four line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so Ooh, that's interesting. I see Super Mario sixty four. I think it's like the the perfect kind of like. Um, almost like Star Wars classic in that it's uh, like I I don't think it's very good when you go back and oh it, it, I, I, I I disagree I think it still holds up oh um, man I man I really disagree with that I even think that uh, compared to some of the other like games that came out around the same time and had the same sort of like 3D platformer stuff Spyro is kind of the example in my head of this um, but uh, but like Ratchet and Clank is actually kind of the same sort of thing it's just like a little bit more combat focused than uh super mario 64 was um uh i think i think super mario 64 blew the the doors wide open and it earns its classic status ahead of those games because of it right but that those games are better than it is in the modern modern day i I don't think that's true just like super mario 64 handles like butter like still and it it, it, what are you kidding no way you think that game has like i uh, how okay, you, I don't think it is unplayable, right? I don't think it's unplayable, but the number of, like, crazy precision jumps you had to, like, you had to make, what game there's no way about? in hell that that game was, like... You're not, you're not talking, you, you must be confusing this with, like, like, I don't know, Vex or something. Super Mario 64 handles supremely, um, and, like, like, it hasn't actually changed that much moving into the modern age, right? Like, Super Mario Odyssey... Handles so similarly to, to Super Mario sixty four. That's why people like it. Like the, it, it, it builds on top of it with the cat mechanics, but like, it, like Super Mario sixty four handles well, like really well. Uh, I think the okay. I, so I to to break this down a little bit. I think part of it is that um, uh, maybe I think Mario Mario's movement is handled pretty well, um, but I think that the game itself is not forgiving enough in a way like there's so many like m- jumps that you miss and all of this sort of thing um and then on top of that i think there's these insane camera issues i think the camera in that game sucks i don't know uh, i i'm i this is also like my memory and i'm inherently skeptical of nintendo games so it's probably biased by that but yeah i mean and, and, you know I, I'm, I'm not i'm not ashamed to say that i'm i probably got a bias in the other direction yeah, yeah. um but I, I i think that that game and that's actually really interesting now because now i'm thinking about it in terms of the camera like maybe it is the camera that makes me feel that way because i remember that camera being like awful yeah, the, the, um, the camera the camera's weird and it's hard, it, i will give you that it is hard to 
framed pro- properly. And so, yeah, so. and so maybe I actually think that the controls are good, but that, like, some, somewhere in, like, to what extent is controlled... Like, that's one of the things I like about Ratchet & Clank is you can, like... Or a lot of PS2 has this... Games had this where you click down on the analog stick and it centers the camera behind you. So, like, you have some control over the... Ca- and obviously, you know, like... It, it had you could like rotate around yourself with the second analog stick like the the, the dual joysticks is just such a better control scheme yeah I, than well, the, the one the, well the c, the c buttons basically did that they just weren't as good as an analog stick i'll give you that yeah um but like to what extent that's controls i don't really know like yeah um, um yep no i i I, don't know, I i think super mario brothers super mario 64 is is Excellent craftsmanship. Fair enough. Fight me. Uh, um, uh, um, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about classics? Yeah, to me, classics are all about context. And in a certain sense, to be, by the way, kind of everything is a classic when you define it by that. You know, like as long as it is somewhat memorable and you can talk about it, it is classic enough to be in your mind, right? Like the only game that is not, or like the only thing that is not a classic by it, like. That is 0% classic, right, would be something that no one remembers. And at that point, you can't even have a conversation about it because yeah. nobody remembers it, right? Um, oh. And so, I, to, to, and to me, so this stuff is very much like on a gradient, you know. Star Wars is the most, is 100% classic, right? It's the most classic of all classics that can ever classic. Um, but, uh... What uh, about Coca-Cola classic? <laughs> I'm a, uh... I'm a Pepsi man, myself. Get out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I'm actually a Dr. Pepper person. I'm drinking Diet Dr. Pepper Cherry. It's delicious. If what, you're not dr- drinking Diet or Dr. Pepper 10? It's not for women, buddy. <laughs> oh, God. Do you remember yeah. that fucking campaign? Oh, oh God, I do remember that thing. Holy shit. Oh, so dumb. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's funny because I kind of, like, I don't think it's good, but I kind of respect them for at least, like, putting it out there. Right, mm-hmm. like, like Diet Coke is more advertised to uh, middle-aged women, and uh, Coke Zero is more targeted at like younger men. Um, but they're like not super obvious about that, right? Like, but you could tell like when they when they used to put like share a Coke with on the cans, like Diet Coke would be like your bestie, your BFF, and the and the Coke Zero would be like with the Grill Master, uh, or like you know like. Your, you know, couch quarterback or whatever, right? Like, like, yeah, it was cl- like they, they weren't, you know, upfront about it, but it was, it was still kind of obvious. So, like the the Dr Pepper ten thing, I at least kind of respect for putting it front and center. Um, not really, yeah, not really though. I just, you know, you, I, it's it's just different. I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Actually, I have to say that. Um, uh, there, uh, there. So there's, so there's, so there's one more thing I want to say about um, classics and everything Go for like it. that, which is, I think people put too much weight in the success, um, or I'm sorry, in the quality uh, of of things uh, of of like media, right? Like we're kind of obsessed. I've talked about this before with kind of separating out, you know, like taste or whatever from like quality. Um, I think we're a little bit 
like the, we we want this idea uh we want to kind of be like validated in our tastes and our opinions and stuff like that and so like there's this inherent correlation that people want to create between i only like what is good right and so when i say something like star wars is not as good a movie as kung fu panda is that's a big affront um because people invest a lot in the idea of quality right uh but movies can be classics and movies can be important right like i think black panther is important and i think wonder woman is important because of it, their context right their individual right. context or whatever and they don't necessarily need to be great in order to achieve those two things right um either importance level right in like a contemporary sense or classics level in a uh in kind of a historical sense and so I'm I'm interested in in kind of like decoupling, you know, stigma like stigmas that we have about everything that we think of, everything that we like has to be good, right? Um, and everything uh, that uh, uh, we remember, you know, like we remember fondly, right? Like we need to we need to remember and think about Star Wars right or you know whatever else it is um as being a good movie in order to kind of justify essentially um its place in our hearts as a classic and i don't think that that needs to be the case and i and so like like my i guess my final word on classics is like don't when you like like learn how to decouple this thing all listeners out there it's so freeing and it and it and it, and it makes you and it makes it so much easier to love the stuff that you love and not be uh, and not be wrapped up in kind of like the outward validation of uh, of of that. Does that make sense? It does. That's my uh, that's my that's my screed. That's my go forth. Yeah, no, I I, I buy that well <laughs> enough. Still think that Empire Strikes Back is better than Kung Fu Panda, though. Uh, uh, Empire. Well, I mean. Empire Strikes Back better than Kung Fu Panda. See, to me, the comparison there is, like, Empire Strikes Back is worse than The Last Jedi. Like, The Last Jedi is the better uh, movie, nope. like, text to text. Nope. Even if... Not uh, even a little bit. Uh, even if Empire is, like, the obvious classic because The Last Jedi has only been out for three months. I will fight you on that. I mean, we have fought about that, yeah. but... Um, uh, uh, but anyway, how was your week? Um, uh, what did I do this week? I've just been playing a lot of WoW, and I yeah. have been watching things. Um, yeah, like oh, so so I've been playing a lot of WoW because WoW allows me to watch things, and I watch these like a billion fucking Oscar movies. Uh, oh, I actually did watch some other stuff that I do want to talk about, but uh, but first I want to talk about Into the Breach because you've been playing yes. Into the Breach from the makers of FTL, a game that you like, don't. I'm sure. FTL, yes, I enjoy. I have FTL. no idea what your opinions on. I love FTL. I think FTL yeah. is great. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy FTL very much. I enjoy um, a lot of roguelites very much. Um, but FTL it, is the thing that got me into like roguelite roguelites. I wouldn't. I would never have been able to do something uh, uh, rogue, any anywhere near rogue level um, or roguelike level uh, without FTL as kind of like a like a gateway drug. Fair enough. Um, I think it was actually a lot of people's gateway drug. Like, there was an explosion of roguelikes um, right around that time, and I, th I think you got to attribute at least a big part of it to FTL. Yeah. Um, but Into the Breach is kind of similar in in that format, in that like the idea is is you can you go on these missions, uh, or rather, so uh, premise is that the world is kind of turbo fucked, 
and there are insect people taking over. Um, uh, and you are a leader of uh, Rift Walkers, which are the, it's, you basically have three mechs and you fight uh, the insects in a, a turn based strategy style. Um, the kind of uh, what's it called? The, uh, the, 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 the framing device is that um, whenever you lose, it's like a different timeline, and the uh, the Rift Walkers jump, abandon that timeline, and try and go save another one. Um, Interesting. Um, and uh, and so like one of the neat mechanics there is you get to carry a pilot forward, um, including like the experience build up, whatever. It's really neat. Um, but the big thing about it is that um, basically the game works is a grid based combat, um, uh, and you have like uh, a bunch of different moves that basically they do damage and they do some move they usually do some movement to the thing that they're affecting right like the basic the the the, the three um basic units you get um uh, one of them is a a like a, a a mech mech um that has a punch the punch does uh two damage and knocks the person back a square um your second unit is basically a tank it shoots directly um, it can only hit, you know, like you can't shoot through things, um, but it does one damage and it knocks things back a square. Um, and the third one is an artillery piece that has slightly less health, but it can do indirect fire and it does one damage to the thing that you hit and knocks back everything around it. Interesting. Um, and so there's a lot of movement mechanics, but the the uh, and that's really crucial to the game. But I think the the kind of coolest part of all of it is the way it works is is the enemies move, and they indicate what they're going to do. But they don't actually indicate, or they don't actually do that until the next turn. So, in the middle, you go, and at the end of it, the enemies execute what they were going to do. However, what they do is, is they execute what they were going to do, um, but maybe updated for, like, where they're sitting now, right? So, like, if, like, uh, the, the basically, the, the, uh, the win condition for the insects is they need to destroy enough power points f of you... Um, to kind of take down your power grid and you lose. Um, and maybe they can't do that all on the map that you're on if you have enough power, um, but, like, that's persistent across the different missions you play. Um, but, like, you know, uh, the one bug can go up to a building and be like, I'm going to punch this building next turn. Um, but because, you you know, I, I described that your tank one can shoot somebody and knock it back, the tank guy shoots him, knocks him back, so now he's not, um, like, there's not a building in front of him anymore, so he just swings... Uh, wide and misses. Will um, he ever hit his own guys? Or does yes, that... yes, that oh, is that is a core mechanic. That uh, <clears throat> that that if you if you line it up so that he'll hit one of his friends, he will hit them. Um, wow. Um, and there's like tools to see like who, what order things will go in. Um, it's got like a it, it it plays out kind of like a puzzle game. It's really cool and like you can't. I've heard that especially because no, there's no RNG in it. So uh, the, or well, not no RNG, but it's not like XCOM where like. It's defined by its RNG. Yeah, yeah. Um, like when those when the insects decide what they're going to do, it's I don't know if there's any RNG in the actual calculation, but it's like opaque to the to the player. It's not like you know that like oh if I knock him out of this, then next turn he will try and do this. No, right. they kind of like make a decision at that point. Um, and uh, there's also a mechanic where uh, your the power buildings that they're attacking have like a a percentage chance of not taking damage. Um, that you can pump up, and that's and that's like a, that's a pure die roll. Um, uh, um, but it is it is uh, it is like the the core tactical decisions you make 
are 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 free of RNG, um, and it's it's uh, it's 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 really cool. Um, uh, it's uh, very neat. The the, the basic um, units are cool to tool around with and really get you into uh, exactly kind of how the game works at its core. But then you can unlock different units. Um, like I haven't played around with them a bunch, but um, a friend of the cast, John from uh, 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 John Ward. Uh, was telling me that uh, he uh, he unlocked a set, and what, what they do is um, uh, they're like, like the Rust Hulks. Uh, they generate dust, which keeps people from attacking. But uh, normally, that dust just kind of keeps you from attacking. But one of their units has an ability that makes the dust deal damage to people. So they're all about setting people up and putting them in dust. Um, and, I, and I unlocked um, uh, Steel Judo is the name of the group, and they're all about like moving. Uh, the enemies around and one of the the abilities on them is that um enemies do extra damage to each other um and so there's there's a bunch of cool ways to to play in that there's a lot of flexibility uh it's a game that you're probably going to beat more than once i i had a successful run um on like my third run which is very different than ftl um but it was so much fun that i really want to go back and try it with some of the other units um and maybe pump the difficulty a little bit that was um, always the cool part about FTL. It's like I had a successful run, and then you start unlocking the different ships and the different yeah. layouts and stuff. Yeah, it's very much like like so. There's so you so uh, the mechs come in sets, and you unlock different sets of mechs, and then there's an ability to build a custom team out of any three that you like, and there's also one to just hit the random button and get random ones. Um, there's also pilots that have like a base stat to them, like um, like the basic one gets two extra XP per kill. Um, I unlocked one that gives armor to your uh, to to the mech he's in, uh, like he reduces by one damage. So there's a little bit of customization there. Um, and the aesthetics cool too. Um, and there's so much cool little stuff you can do with it. Like uh, um, the insects drown if you push them into water. Um, so like there's a bunch of plays where you know you just like hop around and uh, and p punch like an insect, you know, like a four health insect into the into the water and they die instantly it's, it feels great um and like you know there's there were there were several times where like i'm facing this situation it's like all right so there's three power things under attack and it's gonna hit my one thing and if i t take the hit here i can save the power building and like i'm just walking through all these things in my head um and how to get how to like uh, uh get it done and then one of the coolest mechanics actually is like once per battle you can like use the time warp ability and reset the turn, so you can go back and do it again. Uh, Interesting. Which is so much fun, and you can you can um. Up until you take you make an attack, you can undo a move, um, which I think is is pretty key. I I, I it's just a super well done game. I I I, uh, I I I highly recommend it for uh for everybody out there, um that likes that likes uh. uh Real or turn-based strategy, even a little. Um, plus, it comes with a copy of FTL, which you can give to your friends who haven't played it to tell, show them how great that game is. I uh, I got a friend of the cast X. Uh, I gave him my copy of FTL, and, and uh, he's he's been he's been toying around with that. So you know, added benefit. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very. I I really want to get it, uh, and I haven't gotten it yet uh, for really no reason, to be honest with you. I, I I couldn't remember when it was coming out, sort of thing, and then all of a sudden it was just like out, and everybody on Twitter was talking about. it. I was like, oh, I should do this, but 
I haven't yet. Um, so, you know, like, maybe by next week, I guess. Um, also, something that occurs to me is we played 7C last night. We did. That is right. I forgot about that. Um, so, uh... Or not last night. Uh, it, was, it was two, two nights, nights ago. ago. Uh, unimportant. Um, we didn't broadcast it because I don't have a, a thing up to, to, like, make it not obnoxious and cover Discord properly. Um... But uh, yeah, what did what did what did you think uh, for the people at home? Uh, the the crew entered the the stronghold of Einrich Rudolf uh, Bussemacher and were accosted by uh, uh, accosted by the villains uh, Johann uh, Einrich von Obentraut and uh, Jacqueline Gaspard. I was so sad that my sneaky plan didn't work out. Mostly because, basically, I, that's just my whole thing in games like this one, is to create a, you know, to create, like, a convoluted plan using the stuff in the, like, using the stuff in the world or whatever to, like, yeah. solve problems. Um, specifically, what this was is we were going into, like, the tomb of this, like, guy. He's, like, a pirate raider or whatever. And as we passed, there were, like, torches... Um, and so I pulled out a torch and then all, and, and like along the way there were like straw mattresses and shit like that. And I was like, Ooh, I can set those on fire. And I, and I kept that in the back of my mind until later. And then we got like all these people in there. Um, and so my plan was to leave the room and start setting the mattresses on fire so that we could smoke them out essentially, um, and nullify their numbers advantage. You know what I mean? Or maybe just like, I don't know, like kill them with just asphyxiation. Who knows? Um, but then I forgot that What's-Her-Face was, like, a portal person. Yeah. And I remembered at the very last minute, and then I was like, well, that fucking sucks. <laughs> no, it was it was great because, like, I, w like, I, I think that the text of the uh, of the game wants you, like, wants the, the game master to have the ability to kind of, like, take narrative control in those situations and make a good story. Yeah. Um, but you kind of handed it to me, which just feels so much better than being like, and then I activate the power on the guy that says he gets to steal your thing for free. It's like, ho, ho, I've got you. Just the ability to kind of, like, do it that way, I think it felt better for me, and I think it made for a better story. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> for, for slipping up a little there. Um, also, yeah, I definitely noticed, uh, I definitely noticed, because, like, because from the point where I, like, wanted to implement this plan to them portaling out, that was just kind of, like, a narrative moment where, like, hypothetically, like, if we were playing Pathfinder, I would have felt, like, gypped. Right. Because, like, you know, all of this stuff happened and I didn't, didn't, get, didn't get a chance to respond to it. Uh, but in 7C, you don't get that same feeling because it's, it is so much more of a narrative game and things yeah. are, like, so much more fluent, I guess. Um so yeah. yeah um but uh also you guys like i was i had written out the backstory for johan but i didn't know how i was going to like impart it to you guys but like this is you're like oh we want to parlay instead of fight i was like oh this is perfect um and so let me get that that bit out a little bit earlier yeah uh, which is nice i i'm i'm really enjoying kind of uh uh, uh, the 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 story and how and how it's all weaving together and, and how you guys are are uh, pulling into it. How, how how are you enjoying it? Uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's a very good palate cleanser for Pathfinder, which in a certain sense I was I um so uh so one of the things that I think video games do very well is like kind of spatial simulators. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's easy for a game to create a space for you to move around in and stuff like that. Um, and, 
but I but I think it's harder for games to do like explicitly like narrative things because narrative requires you to cheat a whole bunch um, in a way that games don't necessarily allow for. Um, just and, and by, by the way, not not from like a like a I'm not talking about from like a like a writer's perspective, but like from a computer perspective. Right. right. Like you have like, you have to be able to do things that like like tabletops let you kind of do anything whereas like yeah. the computer is limited by the set of things that you can enumerate and uh and it's been th a certain sharp relief to it has been how in pathfinder the prevalence of a spatial simulator and numbers that are as such a that are, that are a core part of pathfinder and i think a core part of the draw of pathfinder right like hitting a guy for big numbers is fun right like right. that's a gratifying experience um, but it also kind of constrains the way that we think about the game to a certain extent. Also specifically because we have a sense for success and failure in Pathfinder that's not quite, um, like there's a, there's a sense in 7th C that whatever you do, as long as it's the most dramatically interesting and like entertaining from like a story perspective that it's go that that's like the best decision to make whereas in pathfinder that's rarely the best decision to make because the best decision to make is determined by numbers do you see what yeah, i'm saying yes absolutely um so so it works as a great it works as like a fantastic like palate cleanser to that idea and uh and it feels like you've cast off these chains you know what i mean yeah no i, I absolutely absolutely I, I i feel that um and i agree it's 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 fun to kind of um Play a game that, in my mind, doesn't rely doesn't rely as much on the sacred contract, right? Like th this is this is I think why I, I am I, I am so tied up in the sacred contract for games like Pathfinder because that's why I want to play that type of game, whereas I have no problem kind of letting it go for a game like Seven C, um, which is not that type of game, right? Um, but yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that I've been doing is I've been watching I've been watching like TV and stuff like okay so have you heard of Altered Carbon I'm sure you have I have I haven't watched it yet though are you going to watch it I plan to yeah okay so Altered Carbon is fucking amazing I almost kind of want to do a, my own like or like a, like our own cast on it just so I can like gush about it a whole bunch because it's so good um, I won't spoil anything here uh, but I will say that it is. Um, what, easily one of the best Netflix series that have ever come out. Uh, if Mindhunters didn't come out last year, it probably would have been the best thing since uh, Bojack Horseman. It is so good at setup and payoff. Um, where you know, like something early, you know, like like something earlier in the story comes in and pays off or whatever. There's nothing. It's like the most like logically tight story, I think I've seen. Um, like on a television show, maybe since like, uh, like Breaking Bad or like Better Call Saul. You know what I mean? Like where the very end of it, everything that that happens in like the final like three episodes, has been super well set up by the previous seven. You know what I mean? Where like things and and minor shit. You know, like things that you would think of as filler in other series, right? Like where it's like, Oh my God, why are we talking about this? Why are we with this person? You know what I mean? Like all this other kind of stuff, like um, that stuff all comes back and gets reincorporated into the narrative, into like the main narrative. And it's never bad enough in the first place where it makes you think that the story is meandering and wandering. This is kind of what it was like with stranger things season two, where like 
There's a whole bunch of different stuff going on in parallel, and I didn't quite see how it was all going to come together. And then it did all come together, but that, like that also kind of doesn't excuse the fact that like it all seemed kind of aimless for the first couple, like the first half or whatever of the second season. This it never quite feels aimless, like it's all still part of the narrative. Um, but it basically turns things that are like otherwise like plot cul-de-sacs, right, or like really like dead time. Um, it turns those things into moments of narrative foreshadowing for what happens at the end, which is like the most A-plus super clever plot structure like fucking ever. It's so good. Um, not to mention that there's a lot of stuff in there that is just like viscerally satisfying. It has, uh, uh it has really well shot action in a lot of places. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the world building from like a visual perspective is really well handled. Ah, man, it's so good. And then the last thing that I, that I will say is that it is one of those, um, it's one of those sci-fi shows that has kind of like a premise, right? Where it has like a sci-fi premise and then it's kind of like, well, what would the world like look like under this sci-fi premise? And I compared it to Bright at the time, which ended up starting a huge argument about fucking Bright or whatever. But in the same way that like, I kind of think the world building fails in Bright because it's like, well, what if, you know... There are orcs and elves and dwarves and then just play and then the story is just a cop procedural. You know what I mean? Like there's really nothing there's like there's nothing about the specifics of this magical universe that like influences um like the narrative direction of uh of the plot outside of like a couple of small things like the the resurrection and like the wand and stuff like that and even then it's so like generic and kind of half-assed that it's like this is really uninspired kind of thing. Altered Carbon is like the exact opposite of that because it it sets up in in like the opening. Um, uh, it sets up in like the oh the opening that there are um, uh, that everyone's mind has been contained in something called a stack, which is like a essentially a computer chip that goes in the back of their head, like the back of their neck, right? And that if their body dies, you can pull out someone's stack and put it into a new body called a sleeve. Um, and they come back to, you know, like, and they come back to life, right? Um, and so, but it's not like it takes that, it's not like it takes that premise, right? And then just runs you through uh, a, a, a super conventional, like neo-noir story right like the fundamentals of the story and the narrative are changed because of the world building of this stack technology right and i think that that is like the greatest thing that you can ever do with your world building is like incorporate it directly into the narrative and like and and explore that with like like thorough nuance um so I highly recommend it for everyone. Probably more like a more full-throated recommendation um, than uh, I've seen anybody else give that show. But holy shit, it's good. Yeah, no, no, it sounds sounds great. Uh, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe we'll do an episode on it, and it'll be great. Um, but yeah, no, I I uh, I've been looking forward to it. I just, I just haven't had the chance to to see it yet. Um. So I have, and then I had one more thing I wanted to talk about, which is a, uh, which is a mobile game, uh, specifically that I have been playing called, uh, oh shit, what's it called? Uh, Rachel, what's that game that we play called? Two Eyes. Two Eyes. Okay, so it's this mobile game, and I highly recommend it. It's called Two Eyes, and it's kind of like a puzzle game, but it's like somebody was like, 
what makes Sudoku fun? And then just figured out another version of Sudoku that's insanely fun. Um, essentially, there's like a there's like a grid. Um, it starts at, at like 10 by 10, but then it gets higher to like 15 by 15 or whatever. And it will tell you on on the different axes of the grid how many um, like like squares inside of the grid are like filled in. Um, it's called a nonogram, apparently, which I did not know was a thing. Um, but it is insanely addicting. And I almost kind of don't know how to explain how addicting it is, but it's like my new mobile game, um, which has kind of replaced Hearthstone for, for some reason. Um, and uh, and I, I guess I didn't have much to say about it. I just wanted to like mention that as a thing, as, as a recommendation. What was it called again? It's called Two Eyes. It has like this kind of like anime premise. It's free to play, and it's this kind of like anime premise, but like not without. It doesn't have like loot boxes or anything like that. Um, you just have to like watch commercials every once in a while. Um, and uh, and there's, so there's like this story about like two kids or something, and they're like in love, but then they die, and one of them gets reincarnated in a wolf, and the other gets reincarnated in a deer. And like I guess you play through their stories. I guess I don't know. I'm not. I'm not into it for that. I'm into it for like these insanely satisfying like puzzles um, that are compelling. And I and I don't know what and I I don't know how to describe what makes them compelling. It's also a little bit like um, uh, what's that? Twenty forty eight. Do you remember when that game like took over everybody's life? Yes, I still play it sometimes. Oh, do you? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember when that game came out. Like, man, I was like playing it like Wait. all the time. Like every lunch, every break, you know. This, um, this is called I I I can it two two eyes I'm sorry two eyes oh 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 so not two eyes it is T W O oh yeah T W O E Y E S right I don't like, know two. why but I interpreted that as like <laughs> two of the letter I <laughs> sorry um, okay two eyes nonogram I'll have to give this uh, a look see uh, but yeah um. I don't know so, I, yeah, yeah. I, highly, I highly recommend Two Eyes. I, I don't quite know why, but I do. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's great, I guess. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> I don't have, I don't really have anything else, I don't really have anything else to say about it besides. I, I, I don't quite understand the, what is so compelling about these puzzle games, uh, but I do find them compelling. Even, even Sudoku, like, I get back into Sudoku every once in a while, um, or, like, Solitaire. Uh, like, I found that they had um, Free Cell uh, on my work computer. Because, like, normally, you know, like, you uninstall that shit or whatever. So that, like, people, employees aren't, like, wasting all their time on fucking Solitaire and shit. Um, and, and I was playing some Free Cell on my lunch because, like, one of my coworkers mentioned it. And then I was like, man, I remember when I used to love this game. And it's the same sort of thing. It's the same corner. Just, like, there is something gratifying about solving the puzzle. Um in and of itself and there's nothing more that you need to uh there's like nothing more that you need to it there's no you don't need any like frills or whatever yeah no it, I, I i totally get that um uh last thing i want to mention is is i beat celeste um both in, both the core and some of the bonus content that game's super satisfying i highly recommend it to everybody who likes hard platformers um, very pretty. It's got a cute little story, but I don't think it's it's ultimately that that central to 
the enjoyment of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool. Um, and uh, uh, I also finished the Engine's Nine before that, which is another super hard platformer. Um, it's I didn't realize it, but the the that all that has like a really throwaway story, but it's voiced by Rich Evans uh, from Red Letter Media, so that was neat. Um, and uh, what else? Did, oh, I, wait, what? Yeah, it's it's like maybe ten lines total, so it's not like a huge thing. But the the it's voiced by Rich Evans from Red Letter Media. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, the other thing I played is I just right before we recorded this, I played one match of uh, Showdown or Hunt Showdown, um, which is a cool looking game and it's a, a neat little game. And I, I kind of want to get into it more with with with, with uh, other people. Um, but it's like um, basically you're hunting around to find a boss to kill. Um, but there's other players in the match too, um, and it's kind of like vaguely occultish, and, and you're looking for credits. And there's and if you die, your character dies forever. You have to hire a new one, um, but your like kind of player bloodline stays persistent. Um, but also, all the weapons are like bolt action or like reach loading weapons, and it, it just gets really slow pace. It's, it's mostly PVE with like. You run into other hunters and you shoot them. It's, it's very interesting. It's very neat. Um, I can't give like a, a full-throated recommendation on it yet, though, because I haven't played enough of it. But it's the concept's really promising. Um, it's in early access, so I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But it, it's it's very much the aesthetics my jam. So uh, uh, I'll probably be tooling around with that in the coming week. Cool. Uh, I really need to play more shit than WoW. <laughs> I've just been so into WoW. Like, leveling alts is so fun. Ah oh, man. I need Holy to, shit. I've been trying to get back in. Well, I just, I just haven't. I just, like, I, like, redeemed that seven-day free thing, didn't actually play it. I looked at it today. I was like, maybe I'll do that. And instead, I bought Hunt Showdown and played that and played some more PUBG. Have you been playing, uh, have you still been playing Dragon Ball Fighter Z? Not as much. I realized that I'm not great at Hyper Fighters. I want to get back to, like, like, the game has made me want to get back into Tekken and Street Fighter. Um, but, like, at some point, I, as I was playing, I was just like, I don't, I am not good enough at the hyper fighter, fighter mechanics to super deeply get into it. Yeah. Um, Man, PUBG. God, I haven't played PUBG in forever. Which I like, I want to play more PUBG. It was, uh, it was great. We got a chicken dinner earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. That sounds, uh, uh, yeah. viewers but, who but are also, interested can, uh, oh, uh, actually, I didn't record the chicken dinner. But our other antics you can, you can see on my, uh, my Twitch channel. Um, yeah, for the, the, I, I have a feeling that like I'm gonna get these like mage tower appearances and then like fall off on on Warcraft until Battle for Azeroth. But it's just like such a goal. And like I I just need like some goal, and then all of a sudden I'm just like huh, like super into you know, like yeah, super yeah. into the game um, for for like however long. No, uh, I, I definitely get that. I definitely get that. Uh, plus, I'm also playing like I've been leveling like a hunter, um, and hunter is so fun. Um, I'm playing so marksman hunter is like the most fun spec in the game. Um, yeah, no, I I, I want to make a marksman hunter at some point. Did you did you see the forms of the Zandalari Zandalari druids are gonna get? I did. I can't believe they did that. They actually said that they weren't going to make the Zandalari forms dinosaurs. Um, because they were like, you know, like Druid is part of the class fantasy, you know, I'm sorry, like bears and cats are part of the class fantasy, right? Like we don't want to, we don't want to kind of like split the difference or whatever with that. Um, and then apparently they like went back on that wisdom. And so, uh, the Zandalari Druid forms are all dinosaurs. Yeah. No. So I, I think that it's, I think that that's the right space 
to depart from like the core class fantasies and allied races. Um, I, I think that I, I think that that makes sense to kind of have like a kind of like how archetypes in Pathfinder let you kind of bend the core class fantasy uh, to something to something different. I think the right space for something a little bit different is uh, is, is is allied races in World of Warcraft. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, people people have complained a little bit about it because um, like there's this kind of like weird. Not like entitlement, but like. Why do druids get this special shit when, like, when I play, I don't know, a Zandalari warrior? You know, like, when I play a Zandalari warrior, I don't get anything special, right? right? Uh, well, I guess when I play, like, a shaman, I get Zandalari totems sort of thing, right? Uh, but like, there's this idea that, like, they get four brand new models, even models that are obviously using, like, the same skeleton or whatever. That's just kind of, like, it feels like... When uh, goblins and Worken haven't been updated since they were introduced. Uh, yeah, see, exactly. Yeah. That, like, that kind of thing. But, from but like, from an RP perspective, that kind of thing is, like, fascinating. Like, most people's characters in RP are not, like, one-to-one um, representations of who they are in game, right? Like a lot of the times, uh, people will kind of like fudge the numbers, or or like more interestingly, they they will kind of like take something in the game, kind of as a um, like as a suggestion, and then kind of run with that and say like, well, what happens if I'm a if I'm a you know a warlock who entire whose entire focus is this kind of magic or whatever, right? Right. Um, uh, or, or like you can bleed across, like Baron specific, like Baron is a warrior, but he got training from a dwarf mountain king, and so he has like the mountain king abilities, like Stormbolt and Thunderclap, like in RP. Whereas other warriors, right, like um, another warrior in our guild, Vilma, uh, she got Blade Master training, right, um, and so she has other abilities that are like related to that, you know. And people kind of like specialize um, along these kinds of lines and think outside the box and kind of make inferences based on you know whatever else. And so, and I think that's part of the that's like really a big part of the appeal for like RP is trying to like do that thinking outside the box. Well, what ha- what what is this kind of character like? Um, and uh, and so Zandalari druid forms are a big uh, source of inspiration for folks. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's definitely 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 neat. Um, but I think we're about out of time, so I'm I'm gonna wrap it up. Um, if you'd like to tell us what you think about classics or about any of the things we talked about in this podcast, you can uh, email us at podcast at some or some derpsplaygames at gmail dot com. You can. Uh, uh, what's it? You can watch it at twitch.tv slash games, and you can follow us on Twitter, um, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes, and anywhere good podcasts are found. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We love it. Um, I think that's about it. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.